0: Tonight's message is called, When You Need a Word. Anybody want a word tonight? When you need a word. I am not, I, you cannot accuse me of not preaching a message that I am not living with this one. Because this is what happened about, about 11 o'clock last night, I had been, it would have been a very long day, you know, school starting, we got four boys, school starting, my wife started teaching again, um, just, we have a wedding that we're going out of town for this weekend that I'm officiating and Ali's emceeing the reception and so we're preparing things and we're, I mean, it is like day, it's like 5.30 a.m. until 1 a.m. every day, just busting it, trying to get everything done before we leave town. And so I was also on top of it uh, leading the back-to-school chapel this morning, leading worship at my kids' school. And uh, so there was some prep with that. So about 10 o'clock last night, I decided I better go prep all the gear for this worship thing. So I came here about 10 o'clock and loaded my van full of mic stands and mic cables and microphones and all, all that good stuff so the morning would go smooth. That's something we've learned. Get, do all the hard work the night before so you can wake up and just flow. That's what we're learning in our family. So I came here, got home about 11. Pastor Lori so diligent with worship. She emails me worship, says, Hey, since I know you're preaching tomorrow, I figured you'd like to have the worship ahead of time. And I went, I'm preaching tomorrow. (laughs) Somehow I missed that. So being, being smarter than the average bear, I didn't text John, Pastor John and say, am I preaching tomorrow? I texted him and said, Hey, before I invest a lot of time prepping, I just wanted to confirm that I'm still preaching tomorrow. Strike that from the recording. So nothing I could really do about it at 11 o'clock because I still had about two hours of video editing to do yet for this reception that we're hosting. So so this morning we did chapel and we got done and I told the ladies in the office, I'm going to go home and figure out what tonight's all about. So tonight, when you need a word, what do you do? I'm going to tell you exactly what you do when you need a word. So, so last night was interesting nonetheless, and uh, actually, let's just strike, let's change that title, because really, the issue is not when you need a word, the issue is you need a word. How many need a word? If things are going really well tonight, and you feel like you're coasting and life's good, guess what? You need a word. If things are really difficult tonight, if you find yourself here and, and just, you, you think the person beside me has no idea what I'm going through, if you're that person tonight, you need a word. And the good news is God wants you to have a word that will set you free and that will give you motion and that will encourage you. And so tonight I'm going to share with you how to hear a word from God that will change your life. So tonight is the message is now you need a word. So from now on, let's call that you need a word. This is a season. I mean, just when I was describing about what happened last night, this is just a season like none other for us. I mean, and you're probably going through it too. It's like there are a million things to think about. Back to school time is busy anyway. We just... And with the, you know, when the kids go back to school, there's something emotional that happens on the inside of you, and you're just like, man, my babies are growing up, you know? And, uh, and so I just found that this is a season where I continually find myself saying, God, I need a word to go through. Now, there was a season in my life where I thought I knew a whole lot of stuff, and I thought I was doing pretty good, and so I would just, you know, just kind of do my own thing and thank God at the end of the day for a great day. But the more you go and the more you serve God, the more you realize you don't know anything, And he knows everything, and he's the one you want to cling to. So tonight, we're going to talk about how to hear a word from God, because if you're like me, and I know I am, there are priorities, there's time management, then when you're on your A-game, you're thinking, man, I need to be investing in my marriage, man, I really need to be investing in my finances. I really need to be investing in my, in my parenting, my abilities to be a parent. Wow, I really need to be, you know, investing in the word and I need to be spiritually growing. And I, I really need to be tending to the spiritual atmosphere in my home. And boy, I really need to be investing in the relationships around me and being a good steward of the people that God has put. And man, I really need to invest into the vision of church and just really roll up my sleeves and get to work being a part of the vision. And you know, after thinking of all those things, man, I really should... How many of you feel overwhelmed like I do sometimes? It's just overwhelming because you could think of 30 things right now that you should be doing, but if you're really honest with yourself, we don't even know how to do all that. And so that's why it's so important to have a word from God. Because when you get a word from God, it begins to prioritize things. It begins to give you direction. And God is just like a good parent. He never gives you something to do that frustrates you. He gives you something that will challenge you, but he won't frustrate you. He'll give you something that has a step one. And and he just says, just take that step. And when you take that step, things will look different. And then you'll understand step two. If I tell you step two now, you'll probably run away. So I'm just going to tell you step one, even though that frustrates you, even though you're asking me for the whole picture, I'm just going to tell you step one is all you need to be worried about tonight. So I want to encourage you. I believe this is a word tonight. I have experienced firsthand how to do all these things from from 11 o'clock this morning until this very moment, what to do when you need a word. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. uh, We're going to read verses 22 through 28. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen too, so don't feel bad about that. But As you're turning there, I've just, I've come to this conclusion, and maybe you have too in your life. As I think about all the things I should be doing, as I think about all the things that I know is important, I've come to this conclusion and this conclusion alone. I do not pray enough. Does anybody else feel that way? Okay, so I know that it would be better if I stood up here and told you I had it all figured out so then you'd think I'm really cool and you'd listen to everything I say. But if I'm completely honest with you, I don't pray enough. And the more I confront things, the more I learn about God, the more I realize I need to be more desperate to hear what he says more than what I think what the news says, what the latest New York Times bestselling book says. And so I've really been challenged this week to change some things, to put more priority into prayer. And as I prayed today, fervently, (laughs) somewhat out of fear, somewhat out of, uh, as I prayed fervently today, God was faithful to immediately, I mean immediately begin to put things in line. And, And it was easy. And putting this message together was easy because i Put him first, and I and so I hope that you'll get something out of it tonight. But uh, but and and if you're like me, you feel like you don't pray enough. Here's the reality: faith is powerless without prayer, and and our works are powerless without faith. So it is incredibly important that we cultivate a prayer life. And I think by the end of this message, you're going to be inspired and even have some info on how to do that. So are you in Acts 17, starting in 22 through 28? This, this, uh, I'm just going to read with the screen. This is, this is a story where Paul was speaking to uh, a bunch of Athenian men and in front of this guy named Areopagus. Don't know who that is, really. Sounds like a Muppet. But, uh, you know, the, Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, "'Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious.'" He was smart. He was coming to minister to a group of people, and instead of coming and telling them everything they were doing wrong, he started with a positive. That's, that's a little note for you when you want to influence people. Start with the positive. Build them up. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he worshiped through nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life breath in all things. He gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from, from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. 27 says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one. I know that's a funny word, grope, but it's just saying people would just really seek after him and they would just be almost like, you know, when you grope for something, you're in the dark and you're looking, you're trying to find something, right? That people are like that, trying to find him. For in him, remember this one, for in him we live and we move and we have our being as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So what he was, Paul was saying is there's this group of people that spend a lot of time and energy being religious, but they don't even know who they're serving and who they're serving is not even making really a difference in their life. And I, and I've been like that in my life. And I find that there's a lot of people in the, in the church and the body like that. You know they 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 have a they understand a tradition and there's something on the inside of them that says I should really be in church you know so that's a good thing and so they do and they put in their time and they try to do the right things but they don't know God. They don't have a connection to God that really makes the difference Monday through Saturday. They've got Sunday figured out pretty good, but then applying it to their life. Have, do you know anybody like that? You know, people who just, in, in the Bible it says in Second Timothy that in the last days men would become, there'd be all these horrible things, things that we see on the news all the time. And then it said that men would be lovers of pleasure and lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And then it says that they would have the form of godliness but lacking the power therein. So that, so that there could be a certain way to play church, you know, to do church that has a form of godliness. You know, from the outside, it looks like, hey, man, he's a churchgoer, good guy, you know? But to live with no connection to God, to not really know God, to not really know how to hear a word from heaven that will give you revelation of what to do. How I many you know, we face trying times, and it's not a great time to try 10 different things and see what works. Now is the time to try the thing that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart to do and then be prosperous in it. Because how many of you know, no matter how hard times get, God is well able than ever to prosper. If you remember in the Great Depression, some people absolutely lost everything in the Depression, but many people also became incredibly rich during the Depression. It just depends on what kind of wisdom and insight that you have in the times that you have. And if we are connected to God like we say we are, then we have available to us the insight and wisdom to prosper in these times. And uh, can I get an amen on that? Good. Good, you're here. So, so he, says that they're, he says that they were worshiping at this altar of the unknown God. There's a, a pastor, A.W. Tozer. He was actually a pastor in Chicago back in the 50s, 60s. And he, this guy is just a, a powerhouse for quotes. I mean, if you ever, just, if you're ever online, just Google Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R, quotes. Just read some of the quotes that he's penned and coined. And he's got some great ones on prayer. And I read this one today. It said, God is looking for those whom, with whom he can do the impossible. like scrub that back. God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves, right? Right? God's not interested in small things. I mean, he's interested in the minor details of your life, but he's not interested in you just doing small things. He's interested in big things. And uh, here's the deal. You need a word from God because God needs you to pursue a vision that's bigger than you. That's what God needs. He needs, he, he doesn't just need lips service. He doesn't just need worship. He needs you and I to be about the Father's business doing things that are way bigger than our ability. Turn your Bibles to 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Chronicles 20. I probably share this passage every time I preach. I don't preach that often so I can get away with it. But I, I, I find a way to get this one in if you haven't noticed. The story of Jehoshaphat. I love this story and it applies to so many different things. Are you in 2 Chronicles 20? It's on the screen too. So I guess you can just say, yeah, anyway. This is a great story. I'm, we're going to read through verses 1 through 24. Are you, can you stay with me? Can we do it? I know that's a, I know that's a lot, but this story is going to help you. <coughs> Let's start in verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, are bad guys, right? And with others beside them, the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king was a godly king, he had a heart after God, and um, some things had happened, and these guys had all ganged up, and maybe you felt ganged up before, and you felt like everybody was coming against you, this guy understands what you felt. So some of the, some of the people came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is called Engede. Remember that for your next... Uh, Trivial pursuit game, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout. Check that out! Like he he was this was very sobering, right? I mean, he realized this is not a good situation, and uh, he was he was fearful, and so what he did was he gathered Judah together and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah, literally abstaining from food, committing a time to prayer to just completely focus on God. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And all the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So Jehoshaphat, he's proclaimed a fast, and now he comes into the court, and he says this, he prays in front of all the people. Um, uh, Where am I? Here we go. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nation? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and they have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this very temple, and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you'll hear us, and you'll save us. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them, and they did not, and you <laughs> did not destroy them. So let's take a time out here. I love the way Jehoshaphat prays. He, he's honest. You know, he begins by reminding God of who he is. He, re, he begins in faith and says, God, we believe that you are who you say you are. Are you not the God? We, we, we reflect back on the great things you have done and hope you do that when you're in your prayer time. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then he's also honest with God, and I love that because I spent a good part of my life not being honest with God. I spend a lot of time coming up with really nice prayers, really flowery prayers, prayers that could maybe end up on a greeting card or something. And I, I learned Christianese, and I spoke it very well, and I, and I began to tell God all these things, you know. But but then then eventually I realized that he just wanted me to be real with him. He just wanted me to speak to him in my language, and he wanted to hear from me just like I would converse with any of you. And I began to feel a confidence to just bear it all to him, to the good, bad, and the ugly. Here it is, you know. And so what, hap- what, Je- what Jehoshaphat does is he begins to say, I think it's kind of funny. He goes, hey, these same people that are coming against us, we had a chance to take them out, and you said not to. I'm just reminding you of that, right? I like that. I like that he's being real with God. And so here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us. Promised land, right? This is God's possession for them, the promised land, and now all hell is breaking loose against them. How many of you know when you, get a, when you come into a blessing, how many of you know the enemy doesn't just stop pursuing you because you got blessed? keeps going, doesn't it? So here they are rewarding us by coming out to throw us out of our possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, all of Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, could you imagine, I mean, being in this area? And I mean, it's like saying that like an army is coming to Lafayette to take you all out. Can you imagine the feeling that you would feel of wanting to protect your children and So all of the Judah with their little ones, their wives and children, they stood before the Lord. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of lots of different names that don't matter right now. Jehaziel was a prophet. And as they fasted, as they prayed, God began to speak through the voice of a man to give them direction. He gave them a word. So the spirit of the Lord came upon him in the midst of the assembly. And they said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, "'Thus says the Lord to you, "'Do not be afraid nor dismayed "'because of this great multitude, "'for the battle is not yours, but God's. "'Tomorrow, go down against them. "'They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, "'and you will find them at the end of the brook "'before the wilderness of Druel. Not only encouragement, but specific direction. How about that, huh? It's almost like God has a good perspective on our lives. It's kind of like that, isn't it? "'You will not need to fight this battle.'" position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now that's awesome, right? But now let's see what really happened. That's a great promise, and we can get this far, and we can read the word that says that God wants us to be blessed, coming and going, and we can read that he wants to restore our relationships, and he wants to help us and give us wisdom when we ask for him. It's one thing to believe he can, but it's the next to believe that he will. I've heard people call it spiritual schizophrenia when you believe God can, but you're not sure if He will. Right? If God can, He will stay close to him. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the God of Israel with, loud, with voices loud and high. When you get a word, man, you, you begin to get a release to praise God. You know, you start, you start heavy-hearted, you start really focused and tunnel-visioned on your problem, but when God gives you a word, he begins to loosen some things up on the inside. He begins to restore your confidence again. He begins to let you see beyond the circumstance, beyond the mountain, and what happens is the natural, response to that kind of levity is to praise him. And that's a, that's a word for all of you, just praise him. Man, when things aren't going right, praise him. Find somewhere and shout out to him and remind him how awesome is. is. We'll talk about that in a minute. So they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. How about that? Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. And, uh, and you shall be established, believe as prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, we're almost done, hang with me, he, uh, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. And this is what they were saying. People who are full of faith, people who are depending on God and convinced in their hearts that God was going to do what they absolutely could not do in their natural strength, this is what they said. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. When you don't have money to pay your bill, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever when people in your family are being stupid and they're being hurtful and mean, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. When the doctor tells you that you've got a month to live, when the doctor tells you that you've got something genetic that your father and his father and their father had and you're going to deal with it, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This is what we do. As I'm saying this, I'm just feeling like this. I just want to keep saying it. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Doesn't it just make you feel good? Woo! So when they began to sing and praise and the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, he set ambushes against them. Because remember he said, you won't have to fight in this battle, right? So now he's proving it. Somebody say, prove it. So when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy. They started killing each other. They forgot who they were. They forgot what side they were on. Began to kill each other. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. I love that they helped to destroy one another. So helpful. And so, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, and they looked and toward the multitude, and where there once was a multitude plotting to end them, wipe them off the map. Now, we're a bunch of dead bodies fallen on the earth, and the word says that no one escaped. The battle's the Lord's. In every situation, the battles of the Lord's, But that doesn't mean that he's going to have you fight the same way every time. There's going to be, you need a word from the Lord. You need to know, you can't just do it. So Jeho- See, you can't just go into the worst part of the city tonight about midnight and just walk around strutting your stuff and say, the battle's not mine, it belongs to the Lord as you get beat up or as you get mugged. You can't do that. You got to have the wisdom of the Lord to know where to be and what to be doing when you're there. So this is not to say that we don't use common sense and it's not to say that we don't, this says that we need a word from God And when we have the word from God and we act in it, we can be as confident as these people were to go out against, not to run, but to go out against the enemy head on. Well, that's good news. So let's talk about how to receive a word from God, because you came here hoping for something that would make your life different and change, right? How many of you need things to be different? I know I do. And uh, so I pray that these things help you. Let's talk about how to receive a word from God. First thing is to find a sanctuary. It's not this sanctuary, but find a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place where you're able to worship God. Sanctuary is a place where you can go. See, when you come here, it's easy to worship God because everything about this room is designed for you to praise God. When you come in, I mean, it says Jesus is the answer, and we got encouraging stuff, and we've got people sharing. I mean, it's not hard to focus on God when you come in this place, but it's hard to focus on God sometimes in some of the places that we end up in. So, so I know that there's no distance in the Spirit. I know that you can pray anywhere, that we have access to the throne room any time of day. But here's the reality. I know myself and I probably know you. We need to find places where we can go and focus. That means removing yourself from the situation. That means removing yourself from negative critical people. That means removing yourself from distractions. It means turn the TV off. It means get in a place. If you're a parent and you can't leave the house because you got kiddos, get in the closet for five and put on a TV show for them and get in the closet and ask God for a word because you need a word. Amen? So first, you've got to find a sanctuary. David said it this way in two of the Psalms. He said, in 77, he said, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So when we come in, into the sanctuary, we find his way. And in Psalm 63, he said, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. So when we come into the sanctuary, wherever that is, we, we can expect to see his power and glory. So some of us have a hard time praying because we don't even have an expectation. This is what we expect. I expect that I'm going to my knees and I'm gonna immediately feel tired and I'm gonna immediately think about 50 things that I gotta do today and I'm immediately gonna see something shiny and get up and chase after it. And then that was the end of prayer time, right? Anybody feel like that before? I know I have. And, uh, but we gotta come into prayer with with an expectation, coming into the sanctuary going, I am going to see the power and the glory of God. And I'm not leaving this spot until I do. And having that kind of intensity. Second is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, oh man, I, I, this what a subject. I don't know how I can even begin, you know. I want to share a couple of quick scriptures because this is difficult for some people to understand. How many of you heard of praying in tongues before? And, and you kind of like, whoa, how many of you said that's a little freaky, right? I have. I spent a lot of time. In fact, when I went to a certain type of denominational church one day, the pastor got up and said, "We do not believe that speaking in tongues is for today. We believe that was something for the upper room. God doesn't need us to do that anymore. Sign, seal, delivered. I'm yours. Done." And I went, "Thank you, Jesus," because that was kind of freaky deaky to me. And I was just glad to hear somebody I admired say that I didn't have to think about that anymore. But as it turns out, praying in the Holy Ghost is is throughout the Bible. It's something that God has given the believer to get beyond their natural thinking. Some of you can't have no interest in praying, or you get frustrated. In Praying because all you know to do is just to pray according to the eyes of the flesh. You just pray what you see and you get frustrated and discouraged. But praying in the Holy Spirit allows us to tap in beyond our natural abilities into the abilities of God. It, it allows us to pray where our spirit man, which connects with God 24 7, begins to influence our soul, our, our mind, will, and emotions and begins to give us that word that we need. And so, very briefly, Mark 16 says that, that Jesus said this. These are the signs that would follow those who believe. They would cast out demons, they would speak with new tongues, they would take up certain serpents, and if they drink anything deadly with no means to hurt them, And that may seem not important to you because you don't pick up serpents, but it just simply means whatever comes against you to try to kill you, there's power to overcome that thing if you believe in Jesus. And so, and they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Of all those things on that list, those are all things that we still need to do. I mean, there's still demons to cast out, and there's still sick people to pray for, and there's still a need to pray in the Holy Spirit and to hear God's perspective on things. In First Corinthians 14, if you want to know more about praying in tongues and the, specifically the gifts of the Holy Spirit, check out what Paul writes in First Corinthians 14. He does talk about the fact that we need that prophecy is is the most important thing because prophecy is hearing from God and basically hearing a word. What we're talking about is prophecy, hearing a word from God that either benefits you or helps benefit somebody else. That is important. And if we don't have that operating in our churches, then we're kind of like that church that just says, you know, we've got that form of godliness, but really no power. We're doing all the right things, going through the motions, but we don't, at the end of the day, really know what to do when the bottom falls out. We really don't, you know. So, and so it's important that to understand that, that the, the way to operate in the prophetic Is to begin by speaking in tongues, by speaking in what the Bible says, speaking in the Holy Spirit. Because as you do that, the Holy Spirit begins to influence you. He begins to rise up on the inside of you, and then he begins to interpret the things on the inside of you that you're praying about. That's why Paul says, "When I'm weak, you know, in my weakness, the Holy Spirit prays for me with groanings that can't even be uttered, meaning things that don't even make sense." That's why the world will say you're foolish if you do this because it doesn't make sense. The world doesn't like things that don't make sense, right? And so, and so we begin to pray and we begin to tap in in our weakness and God begins to show us. In Jude 1.20 it shows us that, that praying in tongues is not just a specific formal gift that happens in the church and someone stands up and prays in the Spirit and then someone stands up and interprets it and then we all go home and have fried chicken. But, it, but it's, it's, it's beyond that. That's important and God uses that. But it, there's also another level of praying in the Holy Spirit, which is not just for that person who operates in that gifting, but it's, it's, it talks about it in Jude 1.20, But you, beloved, would build up yourselves in the most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. So when you pray in the Holy Spirit you begin to build yourself up. How many of you uh, who do this know what I'm talking about? You, you come in, you start heavy hearted, things just feel awful. You begin to pray in the spirit. And all of a sudden, man, just, oh, just like when we were praising God, his, his mercy endures heard, the worship will do the same thing, man. Just all of a sudden you begin to feel things shift and change and you begin to get your focus off your problems. And you realize that the world's a whole lot bigger than just your little problem right here, you know, and, and you begin to get encouraged. And so, I encourage you to study. If you don't know, come to Victory Membership Class on the 20th. We talk all about it because that's part of who we are, part of what we believe, among many other things. But it's important to develop a prayer language, and we'll pray for that at the end of the service if that's something that you're interested in. When Paul laid hands upon the people in Acts 19, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. That means all of a sudden you had a people who are religious, and then in the next moment you had a people that could hear from God and could speak with authority and speak things into the earth. That man didn't know. And there are problems that we face. I'm telling you what, no matter who gets into the office in January, does not have the answers for what we need in this world. But God does. And so we, that's why we need to stay close to him. So that was two. So first is to find a sanctuary. Two is to pray in the Holy Spirit to get beyond your limited thinking, right? Because you need a word from God. If it was just up to you what you already know, you wouldn't have a problem because you already know stuff. But you need to know stuff that's beyond what you know. And that's why we pray in the Holy Spirit. And then to encourage yourself with God's greatness. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He began to encourage him and the people. He said, man, God, are you not the God who had brought us out of captivity I mean, plagues, the Egyptians, all that cool stuff. You did that for us. That's who you are. I have to remind God sometimes, God, you're the one who made this possible this one time, and it seemed impossible, and then it happened, and now I know that you love me, and now I know that you have a plan for me and you're going to help me. And so you begin to encourage yourself. And remember David said in Psalm 42, he said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. He was talking to himself. He's saying, why are you, have you I, I feel that way. Sometimes I wake up and I just don't feel good. I mean, sometimes I wake up and it's like my brain's been going for two hours already, rehearsing all the negative things that could happen. And I just wake up feeling kind of funky and just, you know, not good funky, bad funky, you know. And, uh, and, and it's like I just have to say, hey, 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 stop it. Literally, I speak, out. stop it. God is for me, who can be against me. He that's greater, he that's in me is greater than he's in the world. You know, I'm an overcomer. My past drip with abundance. My, my year is crowned with favor and crowned with God's goodness. I just have to tell myself, hey, snap out of it. You're not speaking the truth, you know? And uh, so that's what we do. We encourage ourselves. That's what we do is, we, when we, this is all how we want to get a word, we get ourselves into a sanctuary, into a place where we can focus, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, begin to encourage ourselves. Out of that, praying in the Holy Spirit, and you get, begin to get a different attitude. Then you begin to, then then God reminds you of all who he is, and you begin to declare it. And then you consider your thought life. This is a make or break for a lot of people. You know, uh, some, uh, even some of you, I mean, there's some of you, you know, we talk, and I, and I know you know the word, and then when you go through things, but then when I listen to what you say, it's like, you 're thinking the wrong stuff, you know what I mean, and, and I do, and you could accuse me of that too, if I just was happened to be sitting across your desk telling you some of the stuff that sometimes you guys tell me but but i 'm telling you it 's so important to maintain a healthy thought life. You can believe in the victory, you can have tasted the victory, but if you continue to meditate on negative thoughts then God, you're, you're going to take yourself out of the race and you're not going to see good. And then you're going to wonder why God didn't move. And then you're going to write a book about what to do when God doesn't move in your life. Because there are people like that. What to do when God doesn't answer prayer. That's just somebody who didn't pray long enough. God answers prayer. Sometimes it just takes longer than other times, you know? But um, so encourage yourself, consider your thought life. We know in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, bring every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ. That means there has to be a filter in your life That filters things that come in. I tell people all the time, ma'am, you can't you can't change who might show up on your doorstep and ring the doorbell, but you can certainly decide who comes in your house. And we have to have that filter, the word of God that says, that is not a God thought. That is a God thought. I will take that. I reject that. I am not stupid. I, just because I fail does not mean I'm a failure. Just because I sin does not mean I'm a sinner. I belong to God. He's purchased me on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we begin to hold every thought captive so that our thought life doesn't, like Pastor Elizabeth said, cause us to begin to go in the wrong direction. So then consider past instruction. Uh, these are nitty gritty here. I mean, I hope these help you. This is what I have to do. I ha- when I c- am desperate for a word, I've got to ask myself, well, wait a minute. What did I do with the last word God gave me? Wh- wh- what's the last thing I wrote in my prayer journal dated three and a half months ago? What, what-, what is that thing? You know? Oh, God told me I was supposed to sew this. Oh, God told me I was supposed to give this encouraging word to some. Oh, God told me I was supposed to volunteer my time. for. Oh, God told me I was supposed to start taking this VBI class. Or uh, God told me I was supposed to get involved in that. I'm not being heavy-handed here. But, you know, I was supposed to get involved in, say, the tech ministry, uh, worship team, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I have to look back and see what, what are the things he's told me to do that I haven't done? Because those things many times are where he's, he, listen, you veered off, you can get back on the road, but you're going to get back off on the point that you left. <laughs> you're going to get right back and attend to that thing. And so as you begins, again, you've been praying in the Holy Ghost. So now you got perspective that you didn't have when you started. And so he began to show you, hey, you need to go do that thing because I can't take you to step three until you do step two. It's just how it is, you know? And so that's a really important thing to do. And the next is, the next is to confess and repent, to confess our sins, and to repent, to acknowledge the things that we've It's not a bad thing to confess your sin. That's a great thing. You're not, you're not making a bad confession over yourself that, that you're a horrible sinner. You're simply saying, I realize, God, that you have a standard and that there's many times in my life I have not come up to that standard. I thank you that you still love me. I thank you that you still accept me, but I want... I want you to make me right. I, I want to live according to your word. And so, and, and, and we don't want to be those people with a form of godliness but lacking power because you're a believer and we all have issues and sins in our life that we're dealing with. You're still a believer, but how many of you know the level of sin that you accommodates in your life is inversely proportional to how powerful you're operating in kingdom principles because sin and the kingdom don't mix. So where you're keeping sin occupied, that's a, just a place in your life where the kingdom's not able to, change things for you until you surrender that thing. And then the kingdom of God and the love of God, which covers a multitude of sins, will come and, and, and free that thing and to make you free and to cause you to, to, to be the person that he's called you to be. So the next thing is to ask for a word. Okay? We've done the due diligence. We've prepared ourselves. See, what we've been doing up to this point, we haven't been seeking an answer. We've been seeking God. Don't seek, don't seek healing. Seek the healer. You know what I mean? Don't seek abundance, seek the God of abundance. Don't seek breakthrough, seek the God of breakthrough. Because when you seek him, he'll give you those things, but you'll have much more than just those things. And that's what he wants. So when you've gotten to this point of you've been seeking God and you've changed the way you're thinking and you're, dis- you're not distracted anymore and you've reminded yourself of what he's doing and-, and you're not operating under the limitations of your thinking anymore, now say, God, I need a word. And like Jehoshaphat, you begin to say, God, you know, I know you know, but I'm going to tell you anyway because i got to get off my chest. I, you know, i, I got to pay this bill. And, like, I, I'm, there's more months than my money. You know, like Dave Ramsey says, there, there's more. Th- this bill, I, you know, I didn't expect this to happen or – and things happen, or, or God, this relationship, I, no matter what I do, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. You know, no matter how much I try to hold on and, and nurture it, it's just this person is in their heart just, you know, opposing me. And, and I, just the list goes on of things that could cause you to just be at the end of yourself and just go, God, you promised God, what, what is going on? And, and so that's the point where you say, God, I need a word. Because this is what a word does. The word begins to change your perspective the word has power, so you think you're just getting advice, but what you're getting is, it's like getting this pill that expands and continues to do cool stuff. You know, you're getting this thing. You're getting the word of God, and with it is the power and the provision to accomplish it. Kind of like when you have a seed, and you ever see those seeds? You buy them, and then they have everything that you just pop in the ground, and boom, a seed has everything that it needs. You just water it, and, and it just knows what to do. And, and that's kind of how it is. That word of God comes with all of the DNA that it takes to grow something really healthy. In your life. So this is what you have to do though. And I think this is one of the hardest things about praying. Listen, just listen. Once you've gone through all of that, just stop and listen. This is what my man Tozer says. I love him. If men and women are not willing to assume a listening attitude, there will be no meeting with God and living personal experience. So without the listening factor in our prayer life, we don't really have a personal relationship with God. If I mean come on, how about it? If I if I talk to you, you know, Brandon, if I if I call you up and then I just hey, this is how my day is going and this is what I'm going and this is what I'm believing for, and well I'm glad we had this time together, talk to you later. We have no relationship. I just have someone to talk to. And, and, and that's, that's how it is with God. You know, we come to him with our requests and, and, I, and I know he's glad that we come and I know that he'll receive you any time of day and he'll take whatever he can get of you. But he wants so much more than just us downloading everything that we need and then walking away, hoping that somehow he's gonna wave his magic spiritual wand and make everything okay for us. But he wants to have communion with us. He wants to relate with us. He wants us to talk. He wants to talk. He wants to hear us sing. He wants to sing with, over us, like it says in Zephaniah. He rejoices over us with singing. I mean, that's what you do when you got your kid and you just love this kid. You just can't believe how in the world did I ever end up with such an awesome little kid, you know? And I, you just sing over him and you're changing your diaper and you say, change your bum, bum, change your bum. And you're just, you're just singing over him because you love him. Because, and that's how God is, man. He's just singing over us because he loves us and babies make messes and babies get into stuff and babies don't do the right thing. And babies can be just downright mean sometimes. And... And man, we still love him. We still love him. And some of you are a whole lot worse than that. God still loves you. <laughs> so without that kind of listening attitude, there's really no intimacy with God. And so this is what happens. As you begin to ask God for a word, in my experience, so we say, God, I need to hear from you. And to a lot of unbelievers or to new people, they say, yeah, I never heard God before. What's his voice sound like? Does he have a low voice? High? Is he, Like in the movies, does he have a high voice and it really kind of surprised everyone? I mean, wh- what is his voice like? You know? we get hung up on that. I didn't hear anything. I've been praying for two days. I haven't heard anything. Uh, my experience is that I don't hear anything personally. Uh, I mean, I think I've heard, it's almost been like someone shouted something at me a couple of times that really could to get my attention. But more times than not, it's, it's not so much hearing as it is having something revealed to you. Have you ever just had a thought all of a sudden out of nowhere? Maybe it was just in the natural even. Maybe it wasn't even God, but it was just like all of a sudden, oh, I could, yeah, I could do that. And all, where did that come from? I don't know. But, but, it, but it works. God will reveal. All of a sudden, he'll begin to show you things. He'll begin to show you things about the situation. He may show you that the way you're praying is you're missing the whole point. You're praying for the wrong thing. Pray for this instead. Don't pray for this because God's wanting to do this right now. Don't pray against that. That's part of his plan. You know, and, and so we, we have to listen. And then once we begin to listen, this is many times what happens. And it happens in a lot of neat ways because the God we serve is creative. He's really creative. He's really neat. I mean, he made all of us, and he made flowers and stuff and animals, and he, he's just pretty awesome. So uh, th- sometimes he'll give you a word. Sometimes a scripture that you've read a hundred times, all of a sudden you'll open up in your Bible reading plan, and all of a sudden, boom, it like hits you between the eyes. It's like, whoa, that is a verse for me today. Sometimes he'll just you'll be walking down the street and... I never forget. One time, I had to share a message years and years ago, and I went for a walk because things were just hectic and busy, and I had to get out. And I had to go find the sanctuary. I was walking around this lake where we live, this retention pond—I call it lake, but really just retention pond—and uh, and I said, "God, I just need to hear from you." And just like that, boom! The word is a double-edged sword. Boom! It's like, whoa! I wasn't thinking about that. I haven't read that in a long time, and it just came out of nowhere. And I went, "That's what I'm supposed to share on." And I began to ask him, "What does it mean?" You know? And I began to pursue that. So, so sometimes it'll be a scripture passage. Sometimes it will be a single word. I've had God give me a, literally a word. Like it's just a word. Sometimes you know exactly what that means, and sometimes you have no idea what that means and you go, "Okay, what does that mean?" And then he begins to take you through a journey, but the word was what it took to get you on the journey. There has to be some incentive to get off the couch, and sometimes he'll give you something very vague and intriguing just to get you off the couch to start following him again, and then he'll begin to show you. Sometimes it'll be a phrase, maybe even just a cliché, stupid, secular, natural Crazy phrase like, don't take wooden nickels. And maybe, maybe it'll be something crazy like that, but it will mean something to you, right? It will all of a sudden shake something loose on the inside of you. And uh, sometimes it's a picture in your mind. Sometimes it can literally be a vision. Sometimes even awake, you can see it. All of a sudden, you just see yourself making that last credit card payment. All of a sudden, you see yourself bringing that basket of groceries to that, that hurting family because God has done so much in your life and you have overflow now. Maybe, maybe it's a picture of that child coming back home. You know, we've seen that in our family in, in not my immediate family, our extended family. We literally saw the Hollywood picture of it's raining outside and the guy shows up to the door and the door opens and he says, dad, I'm home. And, and his whole life changed. We've had that happen in our family. God can do that kind of thing. So, so God will give you a word so that you'll begin to prepare your heart for him to do it. The word is not the answer. The word is the thing that your heart needs to begin to enlarge in. And begin to prepare for what God's about to do. And the last thing, once you have that word, big or small, however articulate or not it seems at the moment, write it down. Not like figuratively write it down. I mean, get some loose leaf paper. I mean, get yourself a little little journal. Get something. Put it on your bedstand so that you know you expect to hear from him. You expect to write on it. And write it down. You know, you know, you already know the scripture I'm going to. Habakkuk 2 says, write my answer. And this is the New Living Translation. I, want, I like this version. It says, write my answer plainly on tablets, paper, Moleskine journals, you know, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Write it plainly so that even a runner, this is like, make it so simple that even if you start playing the telephone game with someone, five generations down the telephone game, they're going to say the same thing that you started with. Make it simple. Don't make it convoluted. Don't make it super spiritual with all kinds of eloquent flowery language. Make it plain and simple so there's no doubt what it means and what it is. says, so write it down. It says, this vision is for a future time. So again, it's not the whole answer, but it's enough to cause you to prepare your heart and move towards the answer. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. Do you hear that? It will surely take place. The vision that God has for your life, it will surely take place. Here's the deal. It's not going to just happen like with no work. It's not going to happen without needing him. All those things are going to be involved. You're going to work and you're going to need him, but he is going to do it surely, it will come, it says, it will not be delayed. So even if it seems like it's delayed, if it's not here, that means it's not delayed because it's coming in due season. So keep it simple, keep it real, keep it actionable, you know? Um, keep on keeping on it. Find out when God shows you the word, when He gives you the instruction, don't back down from it. Write it down. Put it somewhere so you keep, keep reviewing it. Put it on your dashboard so when you get in the car in the morning, you remember it so you, the day doesn't become busy and you get distracted and you forget to pursue it. Keep on keeping on it because it's the thing that's going to cause you to begin to see the situation change and to begin to step into the things that God has for you. I want to encourage you tonight. You need a word. I'm going to tell you I need a word tonight.